0: A couple, uh, last month, we did something that we called table talk. And man, you guys really responded well, so I thought we'd try it again. We're not going to do it every month, all right? Um, So we're going to do that again with today's text. So we're going to have table talk about this text. And what I love about table talk, it allows us to take a text and wrestle with it. But the good thing about wrestling with the text, when you can talk with somebody who has lived with it, All of a sudden, it takes a text that's thousands of years old, and it helps us to see, wow, it's relevant to today. And that's what we're going to do. Our text today is Mark chapter 7. In fact, I encourage you to turn over uh, to that chapter in your Bibles or on your devices. Mark chapter 7. We're going to be just looking through the first portion of this text. And it's wrestling with an important question, a question that the church has always wrestled with since it started. And it's this question, how can we stay pure in an impure world? How can we stay pure in an impure world? How can we stay free from contamination that is all around us in our culture as our culture tries to influence the church? How do Christians stay pure in an impure world? And this is the question Jesus is dealing with in our text this morning in Mark chapter 7. Uh, One of the things that we see happening as Jesus is talking to this religious group of people is they're wrestling with this question about because they're worried about how their faith will be influenced by the world around them at that time. They were worried about becoming contaminated as a people. In fact, if you look at the text in Mark chapter 7 verse 1, look at how it opens. It says this. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law had come from Jerusalem. Now, right there, we know that this is a showdown. These were religious heavyweights, the Pharisees, and they come from Jerusalem. Uh, it's the capital, if you will, of the faith and the religion of the Jews. And they gathered around Jesus and they saw, as they're gathered around Jesus, they, the, the Pharisees see some of Jesus' disciples and they're eating. They're, they're, they're picking up their cheeseburgers, okay? Uh, they're, they're, they're drinking their Coke. But here's the problem the Pharisees have the disciples never washed their hands. <gasps> they didn't wash their hands. And as the religious leaders, they flip out. They're like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, look at what your disciples are doing. They haven't washed their hands. Now, when we hear that, we think hygiene. Now, af- hygiene. After church, if your kids start eating without washing their hands, yeah, I-, I hope we go, <gasps> wait, let's go. Let's get those scrubbed. Jeremiah's right now going out to make sure his kids wash their hands, right, Jeremiah? <laughs> it's, it, it, for us, it's a hygiene thing, all right? Because if we don't wash hands, germs are going to get inside us. But for the Pharisees, they're not concerned about hygiene. That doesn't sound, that's not totally true. That's not the issue right here, hygiene. There's another issue, and it's this. For the disciples to eat without washing their hands, whatever is unclean in their hands, they take into their bodies, and the Pharisees are like, that makes you unclean. That makes you unacceptable to God. So for the Pharisees, this is about Worship ritual. Worship ritual is what it's about. It was the tradition of the Pharisees and the Jews not to eat unless they were their hands were ceremonially washed. And that's why they call these commands. It's interesting. That is one of the reasons they're going to call these commands um, the commands of the elders. In fact, look at this. When the Pharisees or when the disciples don't follow this, look what it says. It says this, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Underline that phrase, tradition of the elders. That's very key right here. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Uh, The tradition of the elders. If you remember from your Bibles, um, in the Old Testament, there, there are all kinds of, there's a Mosaic law. And the Mosaic law could be broken up into three categories, okay? Ten Commandments, the Ordinances, and that's everything that we see in Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Uh, in the five books of law, a lot of Ordinances are there. So that's referring to that. And the third thing it's referring to is the uh, Worship System how God's people are to worship, how the sacrifices are to be offered. And these were all written for a very important purpose. In fact, the first five books of law, we could break it down this way. Here are five reasons that they, that they existed. Number one, the law revealed the character of God. It shows us what God is like. God is holy And these laws show us and reflect the holiness of God. But here's the other thing that the the law does. It shows the sinfulness of humanity. Why? Because we struggle to keep the laws. We struggle to keep the God-inspired laws in the first five books of the Old Testament. But here's the third thing that the law did. It showed us a way for forgiveness to happen through sacrifice. And the fourth thing, It provided provided a way of worship for the faithful community. It set us in place a blueprint of what should be done in worship. That was very important for the Israelites. It's important for us. And finally, God's law also provided God's direction for spiritual and physical health. God's law served an important purpose. And so there's a part of me that I appreciate what the Pharisees are trying to do they see that there's a benefit to the law. But here's the problem the Pharisees had. You see, the Pharisees would look at the five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they would study them, they would interpret them, but when they were interpreting them, they would look for gaps. What did God forget to tell us? And when they saw a gap, they were like, oh... Whoa, God didn't mention what happens when we eat with unclean hands, so what could we do to plug this gap that God forgot about? And they said, well, there's a certain way we better make sure people wash their hands. Okay, the intention, all right, the intention was okay, but can you see how quickly that can go wrong? All right? And out of all of a sudden, the Pharisees had set up 613 additional rules for God's people to follow. Yay. How'd you like rules as a kid? How'd you like, yeah, some of you are like, tell me everything I need to do so I don't get in trouble. That's not most of us. All right, rules are some, how close can I get to this? And the Pharisees know this about the Israelites. And so what they decide, well, if Israel, if here's the here's where the line is that God put, to make sure they don't get close to that line, the Pharisees were like, let's redraw a line right here. And that's what all 613 rules were for. And that became the standard by which the Pharisees determined who was all right with God and who was away from God. Not simply by God's word, but by their 613 rules. If you broke one of those 613 rules, that was proof you were opposed to God. So when the Pharisees come to the disciples, and the disciples don't wash their hands, they're going, whoa, Jesus, your disciples are not following God. So do you have the tension? That's what we're dealing with here. So let me me explain this really quickly. So here's how we can define legalism, because this is what the Pharisees are practicing. Legalism is the elevation of human rules above the authority of God's Word. Elevation of human rules above the authority of God's Word. Now, we got to be careful with this, church, because we are guilty of doing the same thing. How do we know? Have you followed social media lately? This is relevant to us. Very relevant. So to help us walk through this, I've invited a friend to join me this morning for table talks. I'm going to ask my friend Monty to come up. Blenville, will you you welcome Monty as he comes up? (laughs) Monty and I have known each other for we were talking just before service. It's been probably 27 years. I'm not that old, he is, but it's been a long time, it's been a long time, and not only did we have a chance to get to know each other, but we worked together for almost 20 years over at Ozark Christian College, and as I was working on this sermon, um, my mind went back to a conversation that we had in your office, I don't even know how it came up, but one time we were sitting in your office, and we were discussing things, and you made this statement, and I don't even know if you remember this, but you said, I'm a recovering Pharisee, and that, I was like, in fact, I remember, he said that, and I said, explain that to me, because I'm a recovering Pharisee myself. And do you remember that conversation? I do remember
1: it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't remember all the context of it. I, I know there was a lot of detail with it, but um, I am a recovering Pharisee. And so um, I think it was out of a context of I was reading a book at the time, mm-hmm. Troy, and um, I don't know how the conversation went that direction, but um, definitely um, tagged me uh, in My life and my story, and uh, I'm grateful that I'm recovering and not locked in that. But yeah, I remember I remember the discussion.
0: So, what did that statement mean? What did you mean when you? What resonated about that so much with you that I'm a recovering Pharisee or a recovering legalist?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it just goes back to my family background and my my faith background. Um, I grew up. Uh, on the west coast grew up in in Oregon I grew up in a really small um brotherhood of believers uh our our uh, our view of who was a christian and who wasn't a christian was really really tiny and um i think that that really Um, sparked the way I thought about things. And a lot of it really was um, theologically um, was uh, had a very narrow view of who was a Christian and who wasn't a Christian and felt like, um, we happened to find the truth, uh, and in that truth, uh, we want to live that truth out, uh, to its fullest. And so we started drawing those lines. We started saying, um, this is what gets you into Christ and this will keep you away from Christ. And, and so, uh, my view of, of Christianity was, was really, really small at the time, I think. Um,
0: That that brings up something. So how, explain to me, how was legalism used in in your faith practice? So you had these lines that were redrawn, if you will. How was legalism practiced?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the the main thing was uh, it really brought uh, a lot of theological discussion with people. Um, uh, Man, people from other faith backgrounds, other Christians from other denominations, Um, I think in my younger years, um, my goal was to try to, to have a conversation with them and try to change them, to try to bring the full truth to them around, uh, how to become a Christian and how to live the Christian life and how to stay away from the, the world and the culture. And, um, you know, it was, it was toxic really. Um, it was something that was not healthy at all.
0: So legalism wasn't, yes, it was used in. In protecting about the impurity of the world. But what I hear you saying, it was even used even greater to determine which denominations were of Christ and which ones weren't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was really, uh, sadly, how I felt, you know, and um, had, a, again, that very narrow view Um, um <clears throat> Thankfully, I uh, had opportunity to um, kind of broaden some of that. And some of that broadening really happened when I was able to come out to the Midwest. I came out to Joplin uh, to go to Ozark Bible College at the time. Um, uh, I was a basketball player and basketball was a big part of what I loved to do. I played at a junior college and kind of sat at at a couple of years kind of getting my head together. And uh, when I came out to Ozark, um, a lot of it was I had a cousin that that was going to school out here and just was going to be an opportunity for me to grow. And in that, I came out and realized, whoa, there is a whole new order of things uh, expanded. And and for instance, in, in my small little brotherhood out there, I knew of one missionary that was a faithful missionary of the gospel, you know, in my growing up. And um, it the world seemed really big. And how are we going to conquer the world if uh, we have one person that's serving uh, at the time it was in Pakistan, which was doing a wonderful work. But uh, when I came out and saw here in the Bible Belt and realized that there was so much more Uh, that was going on for the kingdom. And uh, my little theology uh, probably wasn't as correct as I thought it was. Uh, It was a whole new world for me.
0: We're going to talk about what it was that really exploded his old theology in just a little bit here. Uh, Let's just go back briefly to our text. Look back at Mark chapter 7 here. Jesus shares his thoughts with the church on this topic of legalism. If you look at verse 6, look at what it says. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Can you imagine being one of the Pharisees and all of a sudden Jesus is saying, "All right, you're the ones Jesus or Isaiah was prophesying about." All of a sudden you he'd have your attention and look what he says. "These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules." Isn't that interesting? You see, let me ask, let's frame it this way. As Christians, I'll be right back. As Christians, <laughs> what do we believe makes us, puts us in an improper relationship with God? This is not a trick question. Uh, think Romans chapter 3, verse 23. What puts us as Christians, what do we po- believe puts us as Christians in an improper relationship with God? Unbelief. Sin, unbelief, all right? Romans three twenty-three. all have sinned and what? fall short of the glory of God. That's how we become unclean. Now here's what the Pharisees believed. If I'm walking over to the temple to worship one day, and I bump into, let's say I bump into a Gentile, or I, a, a dog comes and jumps on me. Dogs were unclean animals. They weren't like they are here in America where we just love our pup. Uh, Jews, that they were unclean because they ate dead animals. All right? If I'm walking to the temple to worship, and if I simply get bumped by something unclean, I'm out of relationship with God. Okay? Do you hear the difference between the two? And what the, what the, uh, that's why Jesus quotes Isaiah. You think that it's what um, you. They honored him, they honored God with their lips. In other words, they could speak religiously, but notice what Isaiah says about their heart. Their heart was far from God. Why? Because the Pharisees believed what made them sinful is what they came in contact with in the world. And Jesus is saying, no, no, in fact, he's going to make this point in just a little bit. What makes you sinful is what's already in your heart. And that's the contrast he's trying to make right here. We've got to understand that as we look at this passage. So, as he is having this conversation with them, notice also what he says. Remember what the, remember what the, uh, how the Pharisees referred to their laws as the tradition of the elders? Remember that? Notice what Jesus says about it. He lowers the value, he calls it human traditions. What's he doing there? He's saying, you Pharisees have way too high of opinion of yourself. You think you've got this holiness all figured out. What you don't understand, Pharisees, is all you've created are human traditions. And he's trying to help them understand that their problem is in their heart. There's one other thing I want you to notice in this text right here. When, When Jesus is quoting Isaiah Uh, or before he quotes Isaiah, what's the word? What does he call the Pharisees? Look in verse six right there, right towards the end of it. What does he call them? You, it starts with an H. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Now in America, we mean somebody who just doesn't live correctly what they profess to believe. And that's true. But this term hypocrite, it's a theatrical term. In theater back in that day, what would happen, the actors would come out and they would have this mask in front of their face. So let's say their character was scared. They had this mask uh, that looked like a scared face. All right. So they had this face and on the side of the stage, there would have been the actor who would have been reading his lines for that actor out on stage. And that's where the idea of two-faced came from. The face of the actor didn't match the actor behind the face. Or the actions of the actor on stage did not match the the actions of the actor off stage. Do you see what I'm saying? So hypocrite is to be two-faced. And Jesus Jesus is picking a fight. He's saying, you guys have got the mask all figured out. But the reality inside, you're not even seeing. You're more sinful than you realize. And he calls them a hypocrite. And those are fighting words. So, let me, Monty, let me ask you this question. What did this discreps, discrepancy between your beliefs and the way you lived, what, what did that look like? What did you come to discover?
1: Yeah, yeah. So much of it, I think, came down to um, elitism or pride. Um, uh having in my heart um uh, uh coming to the knowledge of the truth and believing with my whole heart that i was there i you know felt like um i had discovered the truth and others haven't had that opportunity to do that, and it was my job to try to help them to do that and and really uh, a lot of that Troy comes down to having a, a prideful attitude a pride in, in my heart, a pride of of uh, my walk with God um, and coming to discover um, man that's not what it's about at all and that I think is something that I um, fortunately got to find out and learn about the grace of Christ. And it's not all my good works. It's not the things of, I put everything in order and I'm able to uh, achieve this. And so that, that was the discrepancy that I think um, I had in, in the realization that, man, it's so much more than that. I think about the Pharisees in, in, in one way, sometimes we paint them in a picture that um, is unfair to them a little bit. Um, When you, when you look at, history of of israel you realize the rebellion and the the times that they went away from god over and over and over and over and i think one of the things that i came to realize um moving me away from that old thought was how gracious what god was with them over and over and over again Um, Yet, the, you know, the Pharisees, I think, uh, in their minds were saying, man, we've blown it so many times. We've been rebellious and, you know, and how can we ever, you know, we've gone into captivity. We've been exiled. We never want to do that again. And so they moved that mark of what God is desiring in your heart. They've moved it you know, lowered or raised it rather, you know, brought it further out saying, we don't want to ever cross over that line and, and break the line with, with, with God. And so to keep us from doing that, we're going to, you know, build in all these other things and that'll for sure make sure that we never cross the line, um, of breaking God's covenant. And, you know, so part of me, you know, they, they were, uh, with good intent, Building laws that really took people away from the extravagant grace of God, God loves us and cares for us and over and over and over if you 'll read through the Old Testament to see how often God hangs around and goes after his people, um, it is amazing, and so that that 's the difference I think that I had a fresh view. Of, of God's kindness and graciousness, and, um, and, and prior to that, I, I was hung up on little itty-bitty things that were so far removed from the heart of God and where He was um, wanting me
0: to be. You, you made a, com- a connection there that I hadn't thought of before, and it's this. The purpose of God's law in the Old Testament, again, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Remember how Jesus summed up the law? What are the two things? If you were to sum up the whole law, how would you sum it up? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And what's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Notice how the intention is love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Listen to me, church. If we're truly being obedient to God, we should become a more loving people. A more loving people. And with the Pharisees, think of it this way. Think of what happens when Jesus heals the man that's demon-possessed. Or think of when Jesus does a healing on the Sabbath. Or when the disciples eat grain on the Sabbath. A gift from God. There is great delight on the part of those who were healed on the Sabbath. Uh, The disciples, when they eat that grain, they're satisfied. They have joy at God's provision. And yet, what do the Pharisees do when they see that these things happen on the Sabbath? Are they joyful? No, they have scorn. They scold Jesus. They scold his disciples. And I think that's one of the threats of legalism is it makes us less loving. How how did you experience that in your own life? Because you kind of talked about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, definitely less loving, and and part of that less loving factor is the fact that you uh, love your opinion so much that you devalue the opinion of other people, and you lose uh, a, a compassion and a love for them. I think, Troy, that at least that was the way it was for me, and not knowing that and thinking that. Um, where I was, was a loving posture and we got to bring people to the knowledge of the truth. And yet, uh, realizing I was just pushing people away. I was just, uh, in, in my own, uh, desire to make sure that I had everything theologically correct, um, was not seeing the beauty of, uh, other people and them living out their Christian life. Uh, although it wasn't exactly what I thought it should be.
0: Mm. In fact, Jesus gets to that very tension of the law and love in our text right here. In fact, look at verse 9 of Mark chapter 7. It says this, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. Now he's quoting Moses. That's very significant. But, Jesus says, you say that if a man says to a father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. Now, let's just unpack this briefly so you understand what's happening here. Remember what drives all the other laws hang on these two hooks, loving God, loving others. And to draw this out, here's what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is referring to when it comes to this idea of Corban, we've talked about this before, but I want to refresh your memory. If you were a Jew and you felt moved by God, you had possessions, say you had an abundance of land, or you were welled off financially, or say that you had an RV okay, that you were very proud of, and you would go to the temple and say, as an act of worship, I want to commit these things to the temple's use in the future. And the Pharisees would make note of that, that Troy wants to give up his RV. I don't have an RV, by the way. But Troy wants to give up his RV, his land. And let's say he wants to give X number of dollars to the temple. And you just, they write this all down, the Pharisees do. Those have been set apart for God's use. And it was, it was law. Now, let's say that if that was me, I do this when I'm 25 years old. But when I get to 55 all of a sudden I'm realizing you know what my mom needs some financial help because she's she's not I'm I'm telling a story here okay don't I'm, what I'm about to say this is let's say mom's impoverished she's going to end up in the streets and and again she's not but she's going to end up on the streets if I don't do something that she's not going to eat she's going to starve to death if I take no action now at 55, I didn't know that at 25. And maybe I go to the temple and I tell the Pharisees, you know that Corbin I committed? You remember those, those, uh, those finances I committed to the future use of the temple? My mom's going to starve to death. And, and I, need to, I need to decrease that so I can take care of mom. Here's what the Pharisees would do. No. You already committed. They're already gods. You cannot use them to help your mother. Now, notice what's happening there. Notice what Jesus is saying. Who gave the command, honor your father and mother? Whose command is that? God's. And the Pharisees are saying, "Uh uh-uh, our rules are superior to God's commands. You cannot use that money to honor you. Do you Do you hear the difference? Again, God's law is driven by love. The love of what? In this case, Honoring my father and mother. But the Pharisees take their law and they make it superior to that. So let's, let's, let's kind of talk through this for just a moment here. Um, Jesus is showing how easy it is for our rules and our traditions to take on a life of their own. Even causing us to ignore the basic commands of God. So Monty, uh, speak to this for a moment here. In your experience... How have you seen this happen in churches? Uh, Monty, Monty, by the way, has has preached at many churches on behalf of Ozark. He's worked with churches. He was a minister for many years in Prairie Grove, Arkansas. Um, But sometimes we do this in churches. And this is not a struggle that happened years and years ago. So how have you seen this in in churches, the elevation of human
1: commands over
0: the commands of God? Yeah, yeah. Um, Going back
1: to to my upbringing and some of those types of things uh, where I might might go, Troy, and some of that was, um, you know, some of the things that blew my mind when I came out and went to Ozark was um, taking part in a communion service on a Thursday rather than a Sunday. Um, You know, I never, you know, we're to do that the first day of the week is what I had narrowly interpreted scripture to be. And so it blew my mind. It was something I had to think about. And, you know, is this a possibility for a Christian to do to actually take communion on a Thursday rather than on a Sunday? Um, You know, I'd never experienced um, a, a passing of an offering plate you know, offering was always something that you did out of your heart and secret. And there was a box in the back that you dropped your money in where nobody could see you. And, you know, to see people that were, you know, putting money where other people could see what they were giving, you know, um, uh, you know, I grew up very conservative, you know, you, you know, um, stuck the love bug that was the first movie i ever watched and uh felt so guilty i came home and told my mom to make sure you know i didn't um uh, let my dad know that i had actually gone to a movie and um you know those types of things that um growing up um, as a young person and and then having the ability to see and think about and and process as i got into the word and so i think uh, as we apply it to churches just what are some of the things that even in your local church um, you you are you are saying in and out with you know um, and and how are you living your life um, in a way that demonstrates what God has done for you and, and demonstrate his kindness and his goodness and his grace. I think for me, it was a discovery of the first eight chapters of Romans. Um, in my uh, faith background, uh, Romans was a book I really didn't spend a lot of time in. I spent a whole lot of time in Acts, mm-hmm. So a whole long, a lot of time in this is how you uh, become a Christian. I'm very grateful. I believe that with my whole heart and I still, uh, you know, cherish and believe some of the things especially about uh the importance of how a person encounters Christ and is um buried with baptism into faith with him um but i also realize that um uh, god is doing so much more in me uh, than what i am doing uh, in myself, in yeah.
0: that, that's a great transition. Because here's what I don't want you here to hearing us say: if right now you're thinking all they are saying is we just simply have to love and not care about sin, you're totally missing what we're talking about. That's not what Jesus is even talking about. See, the, I, I like how you reminded us, Monty, that the original intentions of the Pharisees was noble. Yeah. They wanted to help Israel learn how to live in faithfulness with God. Absolutely. But like all good intentions, they can go south very quickly. And Jesus addresses that because what they're thinking, they think of what happens to them externally makes them unclean. But look at what what Jesus says in verses 14 to 15 of our text. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. So, though their their intentions were good, it's their approach that was wrong. See, they thought they would keep themselves clean if they simply went around and told everybody else what made them wrong. Hello, church. That's what they thought. You keep the church pure by telling everybody else what they're doing wrong. And Jesus says, no, you want to change the world? You deal with the sin in your own heart. Look at our social media. Which sin are we most concerned about? Church, if we want to change our culture, we begin with the sin in our own heart above everything else. Why? Because church, if we take care of it and address the sin in our own lives, guess what begins to happen? God's law makes me more loving. As I deal with this, in fact, look at this, uh, look, in verse, look in verses, um, oh, jump down to verse, verse 20. Look at this. Jesus says, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. Now notice this list. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evil evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, if you go through that list and you study it, do you know what all 13 of these, these sins Jesus lists have in common? They're all self-centered. Every one of them is self-serving. And Jesus is saying, sin makes us less loving. To become more loving, we deal with those things in our own lives. I don't go around shaking my finger at other people. I'm aware of my own sin. And I work with God for him to transform me. In fact, uh, Monty's been hitting at this a lot, and I'm going to ask him directly here. As you came out of legalism, how did you become aware that the evil in your heart could only be dealt with by God's grace,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's a great question, Troy. And and just for me, the realization um, of of God's character and who He is and how much He loves me, and um, I'm living my life because of how he has loved me. And uh, I think um, for me, um, understanding and and a lot of it, if you will just look to scripture and and especially the Old Testament, uh, again, I've mentioned it, just how much he's chasing after his people who were so rebellious. Have you ever noticed in scripture? Have you ever noticed as you read that Old Testament and you're looking at the people of God, how how often they just walked away from him and they defiled him and had idols and you know, their, their abandonment of his grace and provision and love. And, and I think that for me, uh, a new reality, a new understanding, a new, um, uh, scope of God's love and care for me. I am a sinner. I am in need of his grace. I cannot do it on my own. And I want to uh, reciprocate my love to him because he first loved me. And that—that um, that is the, the true message that um, brought me uh, out of my legalism and into a fuller walk and a fuller view of how much God loves me in, in recent days, uh, over the past year or two, uh, I found a really helpful resource called the Bible recap. And I don't know if any of you have heard of the Bible recap and, uh, a gal by the name of Terry Lee Cobble, um, has an app, uh, that she's developed And every day. Um, she, Helps you go through all of Scripture in a year, and and you'll follow a chronological reading of Scripture, and then uh, she will have uh, a short five to seven minute commentary, and her sole purpose is finding the joy of God and finding. God's action in the lives of people. And it is amazing. And it's been so beautiful for me, Troy. Uh, my wife and I have been doing it. Uh, another Ozark friend of ours that went to school uh, with us years ago um, uh, was one who found it and kind of shared it with some of us. And uh, my wife and I started at the beginning of this year formally together. We kind of viewed it before. But, um, man, just just having a mindset of looking for what God is doing in his character in everything that you read. Look for the character of God. Mm-hmm. And when you see that, it will overwhelm you with his love and graciousness for you. And His wanting to remove sin from you, His ability to remove sin from you, His ability to put His Holy Spirit in your life and allow you to live and love in in beautiful ways. So that would be a practical way that I would really encourage people um, uh, to 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 begin to view um, God's graciousness and His love and how it extends and gets past some of the minute time. Type of thinking that sometimes we might come away with.
0: What's the name of that app again? I was, just, by the way, I wasn't checking messages. I was making sure I would remember what yeah. that app was. It's called the Bible
1: Recap. The
0: Bible, the Bible, Recap. Bible Recap.
1: Recap, and um, yeah, I would really, really highly recommend it. Okay. Yeah, like we haven't mentioned that to you before, Troy. But yeah, it's been something that's been great in
0: my life. Grace is huge. Grace is huge. In fact, would you thank Monty for joining us this morning? I just want to close with this. Many times we think grace is synonymous with forgiveness. Grace is bigger. Grace includes forgiveness. But the second thing about grace that we need is that it's an empowerment to do it again. To do what? Pursue God faithfully. And not only do we pursue God faithfully, but He gives us the Holy Spirit to help us in that journey. You cannot overcome a legalist heart without the intervention of the grace of God. Got to have the grace of God. And people, that begins with Jesus Christ. It begins with Jesus Christ. We're going to pray, and we're going to head into the rest of our time of worship. But I hope this has been an encouragement to you, because the world The world will respond to what we have in offering them when they see how we love one another, and that begins by addressing the sin in our own hearts, not wagging our finger at others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good, and we just thank you so much for your word and Jesus, the true authority of the universe who shows us how it is that we should live. Lord, may we follow His teachings. May we pursue His way of life that the world will know that we are Your children. Why? Because of how we love one another. Because of how we meet others that we disagree with. And out of love, Lord, we can disagree because they see that we're working on our own hearts. And I pray that our transformation, our transformation in Christ, is what gives us the authority to speak to him about the love of Jesus who wants to change them. Lord, help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen.